Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for June 3rd, 2018. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Well, I was thinking about what to uh, talk about uh, in my uh, preference or preface or prequel uh, before our guest comes on, but uh, who is on live right now on standby. I'll introduce him later, but... <laughs> Yes, I, I told him we were commenting just before the show uh, began uh, that I gave him a heads up that independently, just coincidentally, I'm going to talk about him. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, let me back up a little bit and say that uh, several weeks ago, uh, May, in the middle, third weekend in May, we had the lay minister induction ceremony here in Course Code, California, and all four members of our LM10 group uh, were able to make it. And um, uh, one was from Pennsylvania, one was from Cleveland, Ohio, one was from uh, California here, and one was from Florida. Now, if you when you travel from the East Coast to the West Coast, that's about the longest trip you could take uh, in terms of the 3,000 miles or so. And, of course, uh, everything's relative. And, uh, you know, air, it's by jet airplane, but still, that's, the, that's, the, <laughs> that's traveling a long way. And... Uh, <clears throat> So four people in the LM10 group were inducted as lay ministers here. And um, uh, as I said, it was just a coincidence, but I was thinking of what to, what to mention. And I, and I uh, want to mention that um, Michael Magno, who is uh, who I'm talking about, is a uh, former uh, fireman. And this is just from socially talking as, you know, that's what's the great thing about meeting in person for the first time. And uh, uh, they stay 
uh, we put them up. Um, the lay ministers who come and uh, some of them sleep on air beds in the sanctuary, which is a big open room um, where we hold the induction ceremony um, on Sunday. And uh, But we have a lot of time when we're just socializing. And during one of these times, um, I learned that uh, he was a fireman. Uh, now retired, but and well, retired from being a fireman, but uh, he has a very interesting another job, which is another topic altogether. But as a fireman, uh, it's a very physically uh, demanding job. Um, you have to, uh, uh, I'm sure you have to have your, you know, annual fitness tests and everything while you're an active fire firefighter and uh i think you have to you know sometimes carry uh, heavy hoses upstairs in an apartment or something like this and um as a result i think of that this physical uh, demanding job um his spinal vertebrae now i, I don't know the exactly you know physical and anatomical thing but uh uh maybe a couple of vertebrae got compressed. And so, well, in short, he, <laughs> vernacular, he has a bad back. Um, and so he uses a cane. Okay. Uh, and it's a regular-looking cane. It's shaped like a, uh, I was thinking the best way to describe it is it's like a candy cane that you see during the winter holidays, you know. It has the uh, curve on the top and straight down. There's a lot of different kinds of canes in terms of uh, their design and so forth. Okay, um, uh, but I think this is a very classic shape or design. Okay, and uh, and he, he mentioned that. Oh, if I want to more in, uh, learn more about canes, he gave me a website. And uh, and I went and took a look at it, and lo and behold, the whole world opened up. Okay, and I could share this with our listeners uh, because they too probably don't know. Okay, one aspect. Well, first of all, there's all kind of canes, but this one website has these kinds of. Uh, I can't remember the technical name for it, but like I said, it's like a candy cane shape. Okay, classical curved top. Uh, and you might, if you see someone with with that kind of cane, okay, uh, and they're kind of well hobbling along, or you know, uh, there's canes that that third point, okay, the tip of the cane. Uh, really adds a lot of stability. In fact, I I grab a, a walking stick every time we walk on our property, not on the path, but we go into other areas of our six-acre property. Um, Adrian doesn't use a cane, but a, a walking stick. But I do. I grab just this, uh, 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 you know, a straight stick, and it really helps. Okay, when you're, and I'm not, you know, wow. Getting up, getting on up there in years too, but uh, and I'm still very fit. But still, I find that that 
that walking stick really helps. And if you and if serious hikers, they have, you know, these professional walking sticks. Okay, so um, anyway, if you see someone with a regular cane, you know, and uh, you might think, well, yeah, well, he he needs a cane. Okay, whether it's an older person or whether it's someone with a, a some kind of disability. Okay, um, but. On that website, the whole new world that opened up in terms of information is that's a self-defense tool or weapon, if you will, potential weapon. And there's a whole discipline about how it could be used, you know. Um, uh, I didn't go into a lot of detail in looking and in finding out all the particular moves and everything, but I could tell that there's a whole discipline about it. Okay? And the reason you had that curved thing on the top there, you know, like the candy cane shaped thing, is you could use that to hook someone who attacks you uh, or in a confrontation, you could hook an arm, a leg, a neck, okay? and in the hands of someone who's Learn this, well, you could call it a martial art if you want, I suppose. I could see where that would be a deadly uh, weapon or tool to have it in the hands of someone who's very, you know, well, you say expert or adept uh, in the techniques. Okay? Um, so that really makes me open, like I said, it changed the stereotype impression I have if I see anybody walking around with that kind of curved cane. Because that's the only one that, that, with that curve on the top, that you can hook, easily hook people, uh, a limb or so forth. Okay? So that was very, very interesting to me. Okay? And I think it, it tells a broader message about um, uh, our observational skills, our background knowledge about all kinds of uh, fields or I don't know what you call it, uh, skills or what's involved in things, okay? uh, stereotype notions uh, um, and learning, learning new, completely new things. From things that, because I mean, everybody sees people with canes. Okay? It's not uncommon. But I bet a lot of people don't know what I just described. <laughs> so, uh, well, without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Michael Manu. Manu, and uh, as, as I mentioned before, he's from LM10 and lives in Florida. Michael Manio Sensei, you're on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, today, I, I, I was not expecting to talk about canes, but um, I was, um, today, I'm going to talk about, um, uh, but first, before I do that, I want, I want to dedicate um, our um, Dharma talk today, our, our um, Dharma glimpse to uh, one of the senseis 
that I care very much about. I care about everybody, but some people you make that special connection with, maybe past life connection that might be, but um, uh, but it's a special connection. And um, I want she's not well right now, and I, you know, we, you know, want to invoke medicine Buddha or. Or whatever you think, and just just dedicate this to to her and all beings that are bad, either mentally, or physically, but they're not um, they're not doing well. But um, well, we dedicate this to them. So, but today I was going to talk about uh, a little little um, subject. It's been coming up a lot, but I want you to forget about. We're talk- I want to forget about uh, any politics or anything like that, but the, the word of the day is disobedient, okay? And, uh, you know, forget – like I say, forget about the politics. Put that on the shelf for now. Don't, don't even worry about that. I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about the example of disobedience that was set by the Buddha, the historical Buddha of this age. And um, you know, I remember that um, the Buddha was a, a royal. He was born royalty. It would be like if I use the example of uh, being born. Uh, you know, we still have kings and queens in the world, and born to the, a royal family in England, maybe. You know, the the the, the Queen of England's uh, great grandson or, or something. Um, and and it'd be a bit like being born into a royal family. So he had uh, everything he needed. He had a big screen TV in every room with a wet bar, you know, hot and cold running uh, servants, um, uh, you know, uh, manicures, massage, scuba diving. Well, well, not probably not scuba diving, but you know what I mean. He, he for the time, that time. In, in ancient uh, India, that was um, a um, – and it, he had a lot. He had everything he needed, but the problem was that it was – he was surrounded by the walls that his father kept him in and didn't let him go out because he didn't want him to see what was outside the walls. He wanted to make everything great, and his duty – was to, as far as his father was concerned, was to take over when his father um, was no longer could be the king or died or whatever the case may be. But anyway, something made Siddhartha want to go and see uh, beyond the castle walls, even though he had everything he needed inside. He had there. Some people would just say, okay, this is great. I'm going to just... Um, Hang out and um, and have all these servants and have everything I need, but but Siddhartha knew that um, something it was something else, and he had never seen old age and sickness and misery and death. Now there's some childhood things that we won't talk about, but. You know that that's um, you can look you can look at that. There's some things in his childhood that had something to do, but anyway, I've got limited time. So, but anyway, his um, 
he 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 was disobedient against his father. I mean, he was not in a bad way, not in an unkind way, not in a a angry way, but he was disobedient, and he, um, you know, he 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 um, decided um, that he was going to start sneaking out, and he saw. Um, the problems of, of this, this cyclic existence that we live in with old age, sickness, misery, and death. The king did everything he could to try to keep Siddhartha in. He, he locked the gates, uh, set up the motion detectors or whatever, that, you know, uh, double the guards. And, 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 but Siddhartha ended up leaving anyway. And he cut his hair. And uh, back then, these long hair was a sign of royalty. And he cut his hair. He gave away all his jewelry and his um, and his royal robes, and took the robe of a of a of a um, of a hippie. <laughs> I mean, back then, there's a mainstream. Uh, not in the mainstream. He joined a band of uh, aesthetics, which were lived out in the woods and ate very little and chanted all day. And and uh, he was kind of a hippie, you know. And he was trying to find this thing they call enlightenment. So um, so you know they 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 just did they 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 didn't eat much. They lived out in the woods. They chanted. They didn't have really any social interaction with. Uh, many other people, and it was very, very harsh. Uh, it was a very hard life, but uh, they were trying to develop their minds. They were trying to find enlightenment. They were trying to just expand their minds and be the best human beings they could be. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't the middle way. It was it was it was a it was kind of far out. It was kind of kind of just way over the top. And um, um, eventually, after about six or seven years, the Buddha recognized that. And um, then he was disobedient again to these guys that he had been hanging around with for six or seven years now. He was disobedient to them. He said this, and they they just they said you, you you know you're not you're not you're not keeping your vows and and you're out whatever and but Siddhartha was saved by a, a, a little girl, a teenager maybe, uh, young, with rice and milk because he was he was skin and bones from from all that. Years of not eating, he was he was really very skinny and um, almost like a skeleton with skin. He was, but 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 it, you know he he had learned a lot, but not he wasn't quite where he needed to be. And but the the, the, the and, and I could go on, and eventually we all know that he became the Buddha. And it took him 
to find the middle way, his way, his truth. And that ended up being the way. And he taught us that anybody can do it. You know, but my thing today is about, you know, being disobedient. Sometimes there are times in our lives where we have to say no, where we have to just say, uh, that's that's just not going to work. That's that's not in my best interest as a person, as a human being, and it's not in the best interest of other sentient beings. You know, that's not where I want to be. So, you know, when we're disobedient, we don't want to do it in an angry way. We don't want to do it in a mean way. We don't want to do it in a, a, an unreasonable way. But sometimes there's even you look at, at Gandhi and the movement that he and Martin Luther King, even here closer, and nonviolent disobedience. So sometimes we have to be disobedient. So that's my Dharma glimpse for the day. Thank you, Sensei. Thank you, everybody. Tashi Delay. Oh, boy. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I think this topic is, uh, you know, crucial for um, for Buddhism and the Buddhist way um, to know the you know, the dynamics the psychological process that the founder of Buddhism, his experience, his individual experience as a human being. And you know, uh, it has been said that Buddhism is a different kind of religion. You know, uh, when we talk about world religions, uh, many of them are monotheistic whether it's Islam or Jewish faith and so forth, uh, and Christianity, of course. Uh, what is the definition of a religion? You know, if it's to uh, involve somehow some higher being, supernatural being, some creator, you know, a deity, a god, huh? capital G. Well, Buddhism <laughs> is not that way. And yet, of course, Buddhism is always, no doubt about it, considered as a world religion. But we ought to, the most basic thing is, what kind of approach is it? What kind of a religious approach is it? You know? Uh, uh, it's not the same as all the other world religions. In fact, some, you know, while this is more from a Buddhist perspective, Buddhist scholars perhaps, or, you know, Buddhist view of, that when you put all the religions in a basket as different fruit, uh, they'll have their own unique flavor and whatnot and so forth to offer. Buddhism is not one of those fruit. Buddhism is more like the basket itself that holds all these fruit. Well, what makes it different? Uh, in order to understand that, you have to know, as this Dharma glimpse pointed out this morning, okay, uh, his motivation, what's going on, what is, you know, <laughs> and his becoming a truth seeker, and what kind of background did he come from, what, what's going on in his mind and in his life, huh? uh, 
and to focus, to highlight, shine the uh, focus or attention on the fact that he was a rebel. Okay? There was this uh, disobedience okay, to rebel against prevailing uh, his environment. And uh, I think being called a hippie-like is, is right on the dot. It's spot on. Because uh, there were a movement that said, hey, we're not just going to blindly follow uh, social conditioning, mores, and values. And there was, there's a sincerity there. Of course, you know, we're talking the real hippies. Not the social movement that came, and then the stereotype, and and, and the uh, just became a style, uh, you know. But to turn a lot of these people, a lot of these hippies, true hippies, if we would call them that, came from affluent families. They turned their back on the values that their parents and all their relatives had. In terms of, hey, you got to become a Wall Street banker. You got to, you know, this kind of thing. Join the country club. Huh? Uh, well, you know, D.T. Suzuki. I once read a quote that I that I like very much, and, and D.T. Suzuki said, "You know, there's three uh, attributes or personality traits, if you will, for being to successfully walk." the path, the way, okay, as a truth seeker. And he says the first, qual- the first quality a person needs is sincerity. The second quality a person needs is sincerity. And the third quality people need is sincerity. I thought that was a nice way to emphasize what's going on here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and indeed, the, the the expressions that that stood out for me as I listened to the Dharma glimpse make certain points that uh, you know really hit hit home. Okay, he he had uh, uh, he had to find his own way. He studied for what was it six years, dedicated with all the teachers of the time. There were a lot of systems, a lot of approaches to becoming a true seeker and seeking life's you know, truths. Studied with all the leading masters, gurus, lamas, you know, ahats, okay? And he was so sincere. And that he, so he, he, he couldn't compromise his own sincerity of the genuineness of his spiritual uh, breakthrough or not that he had to give that all up, okay? and he was practicing so hard. And a lot of the at that time, a lot of it involved severe aesthetic practices. Shut down all the senses, all the pleasures, so that you could enter this purified realm of enlightenment, spiritual achievement. This was the way it was in those days. Okay, we could still see remnants of it today, but in some approaches, but. Not like it was then. It was really a life of renunciation. Okay? And, of course, we know Mahayana Buddhism and, and uh, 
the more lay-oriented approaches later so that it can be available to all people, not just ones who uh, can join a monastery or give up. You know, they've got social responsibilities. You got, I mean, Buddhism has so much to offer. Is it close to lay people, to merchants, to people, you know, that are not monks, that cannot live a monk joining, going to the monastery? Well, Mahayana movement, that's what it was all about, the great vehicle. By great, we just mean big. It's a big ocean liner. Thousands of people, you know. It's not just a solitary venture in a, in, a, in, a, in a kayak or something. One guy going off into the wilderness. Okay? This is a special kind of spiritual ocean liner. Okay? Not one for luxury. Okay? You have to, we have to qualify that uh, analogy. But the, getting back to what was the, these comments, yeah. so he had to find his way, and that became the way, and that's a beautiful statement because that's exactly what happened. Okay? And he shared that, and that's that's how everything came to be. Okay? And it's not emphasized enough that he taught the Dharma. The Dharma is the way. Okay, the Dharma is the way, not teacher solely as guru worship but in the west it all hinges on that on Muhammad, on jesus on you know uh it puts it on the founder of a religion and that's the name of the religion itself christ okay and so forth christian huh uh and so the western scholars probably more or less the british perhaps and Buddhist scholars, they make a point of pointing this out, that it, the word Buddha, Buddhism or Buddhists, that's a Western categorization or conceptualization. Okay? They were not Buddhist followers or followers of Buddhism. That's a Western conception. In Buddhist time, what he taught was, you're a follower of the Dharma. And in fact, there were no statues of the Buddha for several hundred years. You know what the symbol of was? A footprint. Okay. To follow this path, to walk like this, to, you know. That's kind of interesting. Sometimes we forget about all that. But that, that's, that's kind of crucial, you know. Um, and then to point out that he was, he became a rebel, well, disobedient twice. Because first it was leaving the palace, turning his back on his, the political life, being a you know aristocrat, royal family, leaving the palace. That was a big thing. And then, because of his sincerity, he had to, again, go against all that he taught for and everything that he did for the six years as a truth seeker and lead this little band of dedicated aesthetics. Yeah, they spurned him. They said, ah, you, 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 you quitter. Uh, and then, as the story goes, I, you know, like like Michael Magnuson said, when you study Buddha's life, you know, there's a lot of stories and material. But one interesting thing was, came enlightened. He just said, "Hey, uh, I, there's no more I could do on my own, my own." voluntary will and discipline and so forth. So he just gave it all up and he 
sat under the Bodhi tree. Well, story goes, what, seven days, seven nights, or whatever, and so forth. But he had his realization, and then he said, uh, well, interestingly enough, he was saying, gee, uh, is this worth sharing? I mean, this is something, this was my way. It's very private, something he discovered, personal experience. It wasn't just, oh, this is a message for, you know, everybody. Yeah, here's the answer. It wasn't like that. He, he says, well, you know, it's not that easy to to go through a journey, psychological journey of experiences like he did. Is that, the, is that something that you're going to put out there in the world? Yeah. So he wasn't sure whether he, you know, he just wanted to live as he was. But then out of feeling of compassion for all beings, Hey, he said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, share what I experienced. And so as he, and, and as he walked, he walked all over India for what, more than 40 years. He led a long life of teaching. Okay. The first, he saw the five aesthetics coming and they said, oh, here comes, look at their Siddhartha overcoming, coming and they're going to, you know, pass by on the, on the, on traveling on the road. But they saw his face as they came closer. They knew that this was a different person. He was changed. Okay. Now, you could talk about that aspect, elaborate on that a lot too, but okay. he had a transformative experience. <laughs> you know, uh, Changed him. And as the literature, you know, sorry, goes, they could just see it right on his face. And some of the sutras, the opening line is, you know, in praise of a teacher. Some of the, a lot of sutras are, 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 are oriented that way. He says, well, I see the face of my teacher. It's like the sun rising up over the mountain. Bam, you see that sunrise. You see that bright dawn. Oh, you can't help but turn and see that sunrise. Okay. Man, uh, anyway, I want to close with, uh, I think it's a nice to be inspired that when you share a Dharma glimpse or, uh, or give a talk and so forth, to dedicate it as was done uh, to show compassion toward all beings. And that's the metta. Okay, or loving kindness to, to, to show that it's not like a scholarly paper showing off what you know your your intellectual skills or your you know, organizational skills and the topic that you're talking about. Okay? There is that there and not not to take away from Buddhist scholars and information and you know new insights and everything but is dedicated toward the welfare of all beings, especially those in suffering and sorrow, to all those in doubt and ignorance, and to all who are striving to attain truth, and especially to those whose feet are standing close to the great change called death. We send forth oceans of wisdom and love. Okay? I'm quoting from a, a, a dedication closing that is in a service book. Okay? Uh, uh, 
that should be very close to expressing our heartfelt wishes of metta, loving kindness toward all beings, whenever we uh, talk about the Dharma. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day.